0: And welcome into TYT's The Conversation, I am your host Adrian Lawrence. And today I am bringing you a senior tech correspondent for insider that's Adam Rogers. Thanks for joining us, Adam.
1: It's my pleasure, thanks for having me.
0: Yes, so as I understand, there is a new theory out there that suggests that social media may be doing more harm to us than good. What's that about? Well, I think the,
1: the, the theory is trying to account for the harm that all of us already see. Um, I was surprised at this. I thought that the kind of folks who study social media, social scientists and anthropologists were sort of pretty confident about the mechanisms for why social media seems like it's so politically polarizing and such a drain on our attention and why all of us are staring at our phones instead of at our families. But it turns out that they don't even really know that, that there's actually some disagreement about what makes Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Mastodon, I suppose we'll find out so polarizing why it why it sorts us, it seems, into these um these two very blue or very red camps politically.
0: Yeah, I bet that's pretty fascinating for sociologists who've been studying you know, human interaction for some time and to have this new wrench thrown in new in terms of the fact that it's probably only been around for like the past 10, 15, 20 years or something. But um, I know that it seems very polarizing in terms of social media when people are sharing or expressing their opinions. And so you're saying they really don't have an idea on why? Well, so
1: you know i would have said before i started this reporting and maybe you would have too that the, that it was pretty clear that the problem with social media was what what you might call an echo chamber epistemic closure a bubble right that when we go on social media we um, our friends are all the same people who the people who share our same politics let's say and so we only hear from them and we don't hear whatever is on the other side and that pushes us further and further apart than it used to be when we were all i suppose playing Poker together or going bowling or attending the same church and watching the same three TV channels for news. But the echo chamber effect hasn't played out um, in the research. They, researchers haven't been able to kind of show when they, when they did studies to try to force echo chambers and see if they worked, that that's actually what split people apart. And then you would say, well, okay, maybe it's the opposite of that, right? Maybe when we go online, we're, we're exposed to far more new ideas, and they're so repugnant to us. That we uh, we're just like no uh, thank you pass I'm going back with my people and so we separate farther apart you get that those the red and blue kind of humps again but that doesn't happen either in fact when people are exposed to new ideas online they uh, in studies they get better informed and then they don't change their opinions very much one study actually where they made um, people who were conservative read like the Huffington Post for a year. And people who were liberal look at Fox News. The people themselves didn't change their opinions very much at the end, they did seem more informed. And the only thing that really changed was that they trusted journalists less. Awesome.
0: Very interesting, that yeah. is wow, <laughs> uh, very mind blowing. Right, fantastic,
1: uh, thank you so much for that. So the question is then what's happening, right? So the question is, well, what's going on when people get on social media? Because the timing works, that makes us more likely to align with people and not just that, but start to connect things that aren't obviously political to that alignment. So um, things that really don't, if you think about it, don't have a political component, like what car you drive. Or what kind of alcoholic beverage you like, if you like alcoholic beverages. Or what clothes you wear or which music you listen to, or whether you think you should get vaccinated for a killer pandemic. Like These are things that are not actually political, really. But they get associated with either being red or blue. So what happens there? And what the what the researcher who I talked, he's actually trained as a physicist. He's a computational social scientist named Petter Tornberg. What Tornberg said is, why do people sort themselves out by political alignment and also add in things that are not obviously political into their uh, into their positions? Right? Why do they? Why would having a Prius make you a Democrat and having a Ford F one fifty make you a Republican? Let's say, right? Those are the kind of things. What he said is you only needed to do two. You only need to have two conditions in a a computational model that he developed for this. One is that you can have people who have connections to folks who aren't local. So it's not somebody who you're near, who you know. Like it's a it's a distant stranger, and that's something that we've all experienced online on a social network where you can talk to somebody in another country or from far far away. And that when when you add in a tendency that all of us have, which is to trust people who are less familiar to us, less. Just a little bit, doesn't have to be a lot. So it's not that like repugnant backlash like, oh my God, somebody said something that politically I hate and so I hate everything about them. It's just that we think people who are closer to us, people who we know better, we trust more. You just take those two things and all of a sudden you get what's called affective polarization. So we know what ideological polarization is, that's just like you disagree with my politics, I disagree with yours. The affective part, that's when I start saying, well, I disagree with your choice in soda pop. And I start to think that you are less human for choosing you know, Pepsi instead of Coke or whatever. Um, and that's what's going on with so much of this polarization that in fact, the, the, the actual ideologies, if you poll people on what they think about political hot button issues, abortion, climate change, things that are really political. Um, they're actually not, that, not much farther apart than Americans were decades ago. But when you add in all those other things that are about our, our preferences, our personalities, our choices, then that polarization starts to show up. And it turns out that all you have to do is tweak these two little knobs, um, at least in a computational model and you start to see what we actually have today.
0: Oh, That's really interesting. Uh, in part, uh, just the thought of the infinity or affinity bias there in terms of people being more inclined to like or gravitate toward things that remind them of themselves. And to some extent seeing that play out in social media. And I know in the report it also kind of said that the loudest one was also um, the more uh, popular aggressive one, is that yeah, it? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's absolutely right. And so here, here's what, what makes all of this worse, is that um, our the, the social media that we so many of us participate in are, are not themselves neutral. That because they're trying to um, engage our attention, And because they're trying to um, sell ads against our identities, because that's their whole business proposition—is to go to companies and say Mm -hmm. we we know what kinds of people, what different kinds of people are on our site, and you can direct different ads at them more specifically. That's the whole game there, right? In order to do that, what they've done is they've privileged a a tendency called engagement, and the things that engage people, that keep our attention, are noise, are emotionally hot, emotional hot button issues, are. things that seem new and surprising. And as, a, as some reporting I'm doing this week, as a researcher said to me, there's actually an infinite number of things that are new and surprising and untrue and a finite number of things that are boring and old and true. Which is an interesting way to think about that, right? Like it's a lot easier to come up with an untruth that will engage my attention and make me want to yell back at the television or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Versus the kind of, I won't say boring, but let's say prosaic true things. Um, and the the social networks, social media networks online, are designed to do that. They're designed to compel my attention that way. So it's those louder voices that then set up those affinities, as you say, that then set up the like, oh, this is the those are the things that I believe. Those are the things that I don't. And we start to be able to connect um, other aspects of our identity that aren't political to it. That's the weird part.
0: Yeah, that is absolutely very, very weird, and especially because social media is such a big part of most people's lives nowadays. Um, I know that many of us have been going through withdrawals and the thought of losing Twitter, which uh, has been very much making the rounds in the news cycle in terms of Elon Musk imploding the social media platform. In terms of your work uh, in focusing on tech, uh, do you have any updates or any thoughts on it?
1: Well, I will say that um, this is for some of the work that I'm doing for another story coming up. Um, the the movement to new places like Mastodon, for example, really interests me. Because one of the things that Mastodon does is it's much less, uh, a, an old colleague of mine wrote a piece about this, Clive Thompson described it as antiviral. That, it, that Because of the way Mastodon functions, it's got separate, they're called instances, but right, it has separate kind of servers that you can join. And, and they can talk to each other, you can still follow anybody from anywhere, but it's a little slower. It's a It has a little more friction, it's a little more, um, it's not as high speed, the velocity of the ideas is a little slower. And there's some reporting that says that that in fact makes a social network a better place to be, it makes it not as profitable. But of course, Mastodon isn't trying to earn a profit the way Twitter is.
0: Interesting, that's very interesting, Uh, just in part as we're all trying to figure out where we're going to go and trying to find the best platform that not only is functional and meets your needs, but also allows for the community that we often had at Twitter. Oh, and so, do you want to give us kind of a, a little hint on uh, whatever article you're working on, or was that it? I should ask.
1: Well, I'll tell you. Here's the here's the thing that I thought was pretty great because I was looking at this. I'm trying to look at this all through a, through the lens of um, of, a, of a field that comes from uh, both uh, sociology, but also um, anthropology and some physics and biology and complexity theory of looking at how, how collective how an animal collectives behave, so flocks and schools and and uh, Um, swarms and herds Um, and and the migration as one researcher said to me the migration of people from twitter to mastodon does have many of the characteristics of you know elephants crossing uh, to find water or bees trying to find a new nest which i sort of love that all of us are actually part of something as as elon himself tweeted um, though he may have been wrong about the specifics of this something uh, that's bigger than any one of individual
0: that's awesome and so incredibly true we are all just animals I guess at the end of the day <laughs> that's true uh, you know hey we can read which is cool and so for those out there who want to read some of your work uh, where can I go well um you
1: know I, boy in the old days I used to say you can find me on Twitter at jetjocko. but I'll so uh, at jetjocko at mastodon.social is where I'm maybe moving myself to you can still find me on Twitter and also uh, at insider.com I'm around probably uh, once a week with more words.
0: Fantastic, thank you so much for joining us. That's Adam Rogers, Senior Tech Correspondent for Insider. Well, we got for you some more action with the conversation. It's Adrian Lawrence and now I have joining me Dakota Hall, the Executive Director of the Alliance for Youth Action. That's the first black and indigenous leader of the organization. Thanks so much for joining us Dakota.
2: Oh, and Thank you for so much for having me on your show.
0: Yes, all right, so we survived the midterms and it was in large part to a lot of the young voters who came out and supported democrats. Nationally what we're looking at young voters supporting democrats over republicans by 28 points, that is huge. What's your take on this?
2: Yeah, young people came out and saved democracy in this midterm election. They really highlighted the power of their vote um, and how seriously they should be taking moving forward. Um, Young people, I think, heard from Democrats a message around the economy, around democracy and around access to health care and abortion rights that they liked. that they did not see that from a Republican Party. And they came out overwhelmingly um, for Democratic House candidates as well as Democratic governors, Democratic um, Senate candidates as well too. And I think that's why Joe Biden um, was smiling the day after the election was because young Voters stop the red wave, and young voters um, have proven to, to um, the country that they are the most uh, powerful voting bloc right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it seems to be especially powerful when it comes to Black and Latino youth. With 89% of Black youth and 68% of Latino youth uh, bolstering up the Democratic House candidate, that, that's that's yeah. pretty. That's that's amazing. Um, I guess uh, from your vantage point, what is the draw that not only really gets people out, but young people in particular and do you think we're gonna see it again?
2: Yeah, I think we're gonna continue to see this trend. I think when they were faced with um, what the two candidates uh, represented, they saw on the Republican side election deniers, people who wanted to take away democracy, people who wanted to limit um, access to health care and abortion um, uh, rights. They also saw people who did not have an economic message for them, right? Um, and I think on the other side, um, Joe Biden and Democrats came through on many big promises to young people, including canceling student loan debt, addressing the climate crisis um, and then taking further action to make sure um, that they're gonna protect abortion rights in the the next Congress. So I think at the end of the day, um, the reason why black and Latino uh, young voters came out to vote for Democrats is because Democrats talked to them. They included their vision for the country into their policy platforms. um, And finally learned how to effectively message that to young people.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like it galvanized them uh, in in large masses, which is fantastic. At the same time, something you had mentioned uh, that was attractive, for young voters, is this forgiveness for student loans? And I know recently that Biden is reconsidering the student loan forgiveness program which for me definitely kind of feels like um, a very backhanded play. In terms of you get us to go to the polls with making this promise there and we come and support you. And then all of a sudden when there's one challenge coming up, there's consideration of let's just not do this at all. Uh, I don't know, that doesn't sit very well with me. Uh, Any talk among young voters about it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think young voters understand who's fighting the lawsuits to stop the um, student loan forgiveness as well too, right? Like it is Republicans who are trying to put a halt to this program first and foremost, and Republicans should be ashamed of themselves for trying to do this. Uh, these are the same Republicans that have been called on the media for taking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in and um, uh dollars, right? And they got those forgiven through the COVID loans. And yet here they are trying to stop young Americans um, who are saddled with debt from getting a better economic future. So I think the question really here is like why are Republicans special and young people are not special in this country when it comes towards getting some assistance and, and, and getting a better future. And so I think, you know, while Joe Biden and his administration are considering um what pathway forward to ensure that we get this still enacted, I think the real culprit here are are, are the Republicans Republicans who filed these lawsuits because they don't want to see um, young people have the economic mobility um, in this country right now.
0: Absolutely, uh, I know the GOP knows that access to education can very much mean access to opportunities. And so to keep that class divide uh, and particularly exploiting the racial aspects of student yeah. loan forgiveness, um, that's definitely seems to be very much on their agenda and perpetuating those systems of oppression. But going over to Pennsylvania, I know that hotly contested race between John Fetterman, uh, Dr. Oz, that that was something that was being covered across the board. But it was the youth vote that ended up being vital to Fetterman's win. Uh, In Pennsylvania state, I think it, it is just something that is incredibly uh, valuable and yeah. also something that helps uh, in terms of the Democrats not losing control in the Senate. How do you think Fetterman is possibly aligned to serve the young voting population there that backed him as a candidate?
2: Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think also recognizing that Dr. Oz was a terrible candidate for that state um, who did not even know the Steelers were on a bye week, right? Like that's rule number one, you have to know the football of your state and in a state like Pennsylvania. Um, and so while I think um, it's a combination of one, it was a terrible candidate on the Republican side. Um, and also uh, John Federman running a campaign that engaged um, the many college students within that state as well too. And so you know, I, I'm hoping that the campaign promises are followed through. Like I think that's the big thing for Democrats right now is that there are gonna be many vulnerable seats up in 2024 um, in places like Montana. Um, And so if Democrats are unable to hold their promises, we'll be looking um, at young people maybe um, to choose a third party candidate. And so I think John Fetterman and the rest of the Senate Democrats right now have a really big job um, in terms of being able to still pass a bold agenda while the House is still up in the air.
0: Yeah, I actually think that's really cool because when we're often talking about demographics and how candidates and politicians can really look to support them. I'd love it if they recognize the youth, young gen Z demographic. Uh, I think that that would be an extremely powerful thing. And especially because now we're seeing Gen Zers be in Congress. As we know, we have the first Democratic candidate of the Gen Z generation, Maxwell Frost of Florida winning a seat in the House. And so having that representation and also seeing people mobilize at such young ages is a really Mm -hmm. powerful thing. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I mean, Max Frost is just one example of how many young people in this country are, are taking towards civic engagement, running for office, right? Um, and taking over school boards, running for city councils, state assemblies, right? Um, just a few years ago, Wisconsin elected an 18 year old to our state assembly. And so I think young people, the Gen Z generation is really showing um, that they are a force to be reckoned with, that they are electable, that they can really take this country and move it forward. And we're now just like becoming aware of that, but I think it's been happening for the last few years now that young people are running locally. And we now just had our first um, uh, candidate run and and successfully run um, for Congress. So I'm looking forward um, to uh, what Max is able to do in Congress. And I I really do hope that he is a force to reckon with nationally and not just people in Florida are supporting Max. um, But people across the country are really cheering upon Gen Z leadership that we've seen what they've been able to do with organizations like Gen Gen Z for Change, March for Our Lives, the Sunrise Movement. The Alliance Youth Action has continuously turned out young people to help move this Country forward um, since the rise of uh, Trump. And so I think now it's time to uh, follow uh, uh, young millennials and and the Gen Z generation to ensure that this country um, lasts, that democracy is preserved, um, that we're fighting for basic human rights for everyone and making sure that everyone has a chance to thrive in our country.
0: Absolutely. I think it's so cool, again, to have young people get involved in terms of our leadership in our country, especially because we're seeing so many um, just. Things being taken away from them or the possibility of the threat thereof. So the thought of when they finally become of age or when they finally um, you know, hit their 30s or 40s that they may not still have some of those social support systems that are imperative. Um, watching our nation kind of waste away to bolster that 1% is not okay. So seeing yeah. that mobilization is powerful. And I know that as the executive director of the Alliance for Youth Action that you are heavily involved in continuing to ensure people are mobilized. Can you tell us about what you're working on?
2: Yeah, right now we are planning for the 2024 election, right? Um, and as also all the other elections that we'll see in 2023 um, in states like Wisconsin where the Supreme Court will be on the ballot um, in February and then April, um, that civic engagement doesn't stop, right? Young people need to be consistently engaged. And so even days after the election, we are still on college campuses, we're still knocking doors in communities to talk about what does it mean to now legislate, right? Um, there's an amazing program down in Phoenix um, through our organization Podair, who's now doing a governance fellowship to talk about what does it mean to govern um, in Phoenix and in Arizona now that they've been elected. And so this is the important work that young people are leading. We're not just electing people, but we're telling them how to govern um, and and govern on the values that we believe in to ensure that they're representative of our communities. And so I really look forward to what um, we're able to do, not only um, for elections, but really afterwards to ensure that government is truly representing the people.
0: Yes, absolutely. And so I'm very grateful to have organizations like yours that are helping mobilize people, also help ensure they have access to use their voices and really just ensuring that you are galvanizing people so that they can truly be a part of our our voting system and have their voices heard. So thank you so much for all that you do. And also, in terms of people who may want to get involved with the Alliance for Youth Action, what should they do? Where should they go?
2: Yeah, hey, uh, go to our website, allianceyouthaction.org and get connected to one of the amazing 20 organizations um, that we have in our network. Um, we operate in 18 different states. And so these are political homes for young people that can really help develop them, um, take their skills from being an activist to an organizer, to teach them political education that they may have not got in school, to teach them civics, to really unlock that um, that set of their mind to, to, to be lifelong um, engaged uh, residents and citizens of this country. Um, so definitely ch- check us out, social media um, and on our website Alliance for Youth Action, Um, and we can plug you in. Um, And we look forward to building a movement for all people led by young people.
0: Yes, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Again, really appreciate all the work that you do. And I'm excited for more people to get involved as we head into this hunt for 2024, which we know is probably going to be uh, quite tumultuous. So I wanna thank you so much for joining us. That's Dakota Hall, Executive Director of the Alliance for Youth Action.
2: Thank you.